Well, church, in the last hour, we had the privilege of dedicating two little boys to the Lord, and such a blessing to have all these children here, and um, to see the coming generations. I was just walking the hall saying thank you to our workers, and we heard a, a cry coming from the two-year-old, early two-year-old room. We have two different two-year-old rooms, and, and a young couple's in there. I've known her since she was born, and, and I said, anything okay in here? And she said, that's my child. We can't control him. So, so all the others were in good shape. We can't control him. But it's just a joy to see all these. So um, thanks be to God. This is the passage we're going to be covering today. I'm speaking about shepherding and especially out of Acts chapter 20. Acts chapter 20, verses 29 and following. Hear the word of the Lord. Paul's address to the elders from the church at Ephesus. I know that after my departure, fierce wolves will come in among you, not sparing the flock. And from among your own cells will arise men speaking twisted things to draw away the disciples after them. Therefore, be alert. <clears throat> Remember that for three years I did not cease night or day to admonish everyone with tears. And now I commend you to God and the word of his grace which is able to build you up and to give you the inheritance among those who are sanctified. I coveted no one's silver or gold or apparel. You yourselves know that these hands ministered to my necessities and to those who were with me in all things. I have shown you that by working hard in this way, we must help the weak and remember the words of the Lord how he himself said, it is more blessed to give than to receive. And when Paul had said these things, he knelt down and prayed with them all. And there was much weeping on the part of all. They embraced Paul and kissed him, being sorrowful most of all because of the word he had spoken that they would not see his face again. And they accompanied him to the ship. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you for this word from you, and we pray you'd give us understanding, Holy Spirit, to make application and to rightly live out the reality of your scripture. Come, Holy Spirit, in Jesus' name. Amen. And so Paul is this example of shepherding, shepherding just it's caring for people with truth and with love. Paul has said when he was at Ephesus for almost three years, he lived among them with humility and with tears, and he did not shrink from declaring to them the full counsel of God, going from house to house teaching them. And then he talked about his future ministry, and he said, he said you know, my, my, my purpose, verse 24, is that I count my life worth nothing to me if, order, and if only I can complete the task and finish the race the Lord Jesus has given me, the task of testifying to the gospel of God's grace. And then he said there's three supporting thoughts or dictates that help him walk through this. Number one is that he is compelled and propelled and pushed along by the Holy Spirit. Number two, he does not know what tomorrow holds, but he knows that God is in control. Number three, he says, everywhere I go, I know that hard times and imprisonment awaits me. But in essence, he's saying, as I live this life of battles and blessings, heaven awaits. He says in Romans chapter 8, for I am convinced that the sufferings of this present time are not worth comparing to the glory that will be revealed in us. 
And then last week we talked about this charge to the elders. And we, I said last week that Paul says to them, I am innocent of the blood of all men because I've told you the truth. And then he says to the elders, you guard yourselves, and after you guard yourselves, then you care for the church of God, which he obtained or bought with his own blood. And as I've said in the last weeks, that every person here who names the name of Christ to one degree or another shepherds those around them by example or precept. If you're a parent or if you represent Christ in the workplace or if you represent Christ in your neighborhood, but a particularly application, of course, are to elders and pastors. But the application is to all of us who represent Christ. And so as we go through this passage, I'm going to give you five principles about shepherding that are, I think, part of the discussion and the dialogue of this text as we seek to shepherd people. Point number one is this, that, is that we must know the character of the good shepherd and then continually embrace, embrace our calling. We must continuously know the character of the good shepherd and then embrace our high calling. Paul says in verse 20, he says, I, I didn't hold back anything that was profitable to you regarding the Word of God. Profitable here means to bring together or to confer a benefit. He said, I didn't hold back anything, but I laid it out. I gave it to you. And I thought just how glorious it is that the Word of God is profitable. It bestows blessing. It gushes us into the presence of the triune God, the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. The Word of God is taken by, by the Holy Spirit and made alive in our presence as we think about it and memorize it and, and, and dwell upon it. So, so we must continue to know the, the character of the good shepherd. And as we do that, we will embrace our high calling. Jesus says in, in John chapter 10, I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. He says, I go before my sheep and I call them by name. He says, I am the gate to the sheep pen. You go in and out from me and you find pasture. He says, I've come that you may have life and have it abundantly. The thief comes to steal, kill, and destroy. He says, I'm the good shepherd. So I, I need to know the good shepherd and embrace my calling to guard myself and to guard people under my charge. And as, as I thought about this, I just, I just asked myself and asked you, are you tasting and experiencing the goodness of the living God and his triune glory? Are you tasting and rejoicing in the goodness of God, his mercy? Are you tasting and experiencing and rejoicing every day in the forgiveness of sin, not because of what you can do or have done or will do, but only because of the cross? Do you stop in the middle of the day sometimes and say, thanks be to God for the unspeakable, inestimable gift of the forgiveness of sins? And that, that, that is enough to praise God through the ages. And, and then you go, you go to Ephesians 1, he's done this, he's done that. We're adopted, we're sealed with the Holy Spirit. We were given a, a high hope and a lofty calling. Thanks be to God for these things. And, and sometimes I stop and I say, God, forgive me for taking these things for granted. For, for taking people for granted. For taking life situations for granted. I mean, Many of us who are married need to wake up every morning and look across the bed and say, they're still here. Thank you, Lord. You know. I was thinking about this, and I thought about the summer of 1979. I was in seminary and took 12 weeks out during the summer to go help start a church in the very northern part of New Mexico and spent two or three days every 
week backpacking in the Rockies. And I'm from the East Coast, and I've never seen mountains like the Rockies. I mean, they're just, I love the Smokies, but you go and you go, good, these are very different. Snow-capped, camping in June and being in the middle of a snowstorm. It was unbelievable. And so one day, my friend and I were helping start this church. We were going through this desolate valley in the middle of these beautiful Rockies and stopped for gas. And that was 79. Believe me, in 1979, people come out and say, what kind of gas you want, buddy? Can I check under the hood? It really happened. And this guy came out, and we told him what we wanted. So my friend goes inside, and I'm standing there trying to start a conversation with him. And he's pumping. He's looking down. I said, you know, where are you from? Well, I was born and raised in this valley. And I'm looking around snow-capped mountains. I mean, just, whoa. And uh, I said, do, do, do you ever get used to this startling beauty? I'll never forget what he did. He's pumping. He looks up and he goes, yeah. That's what he did, I promise you. Just, yeah. And I thought, oh. Then I think, I look at my life and I go, how many times do I go across our bridges and look at the vast expanse of our harbors or our, our rivers and go, yeah. How many times do I look at a friend who's been a consistent friend for decades and not say, thank the Lord, or my wife or my kids, just thank how many, how many times do I walk down a beautiful road in the low country and see greens and hear birds and, and instead of saying, God is the great creator, God, who made the heavens and the earth and said it is very good. And I just go, meh. Fight against that. Fight against the dryness that doesn't bowl us over with the greatness of all that Christ is for us. And, and, and as you taste the goodness of all the good shepherd has done for you, then you embrace your high calling. Then you embrace what God has called you to do. As, as, as a leader, as a parent, as a grandparent. Oh, by the way, I'm a grandparent. Um, had a, yeah. So that, was, that was kind of spontaneous. But you had a little baby boy born in Washington State. Gideon, 6 pounds, 5 ounces, 19 inches. Best looking baby I've ever seen in my life. <laughs> so we're thrilled. God is good. Anyway, you, so you, 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 you see your high calling. So you, you see the glory of the good shepherd. You taste it, and then you embrace your high calling. Years ago, 2001, there was a movie released called The Fellowship of the Ring. And I, I remember seeing this scene, and I went, <clears throat> that's what it means to care for people. Here's the scene. Um, Fellowship of the Ring, you've got the hobbits, you've got... Uh, Boromir, you've got Aragorn, who's going to be the king, who's just the man. He's the man. Um, you've got Gimli, you've got Legolas, and you've got Gandalf, who's the leader at that time, tall Gandalf. And they, they go into a cave, and they're being chased by the orcs, bad guys, arrows whizzing all around them. And all of a sudden, the orcs start fleeing when they hear this incredible growl. And the tiny man looks to Gandalf, leader, and says, what is that? And he says, it's a ball rock. It's a ball rock. And then they show us the ball rock. Big, ominous, horrible, that makes the orcs, who are bad dudes, flee. And so the ball rock is chasing them through the cave, and they go across this little bridge, and as they go across this, the bridge, and he's catching up with them, and it's, it looks like it's going to be lights out for them, and Gandalf turns. <clears throat> 
and he drives his stake into the, into the bridge. And this is what he says before he drives his stake in the bridge. He says, you cannot pass. Hear that? I am a servant of the secret fire, wielder of the flame of Anor. You cannot pass. The dark fire will not avail you, flame of Uden. Go back to the shadows. You cannot pass. And then he throws his staff down, and the bridge breaks, and the ball rock falls into the abyss. But he reaches up with a tentacle, and he drags Gandalf to his death. And Boromir has to restrain Bilbo, and Frodo, excuse me, has restrained him. And, 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 and then Aragorn is standing there looking at the abyss with the arrows flying around him, impervious to the whiz of the arrows because he's lost his leader. But, but I thought when Gandalf says, you cannot pass, that's what leaders do. They, they say, this is the truth, you cannot pass. I'm, I'm, I'm going to stand here, I, I'm, I'm, I'm a watchman, I'm a watchman on the wall, you cannot pass. I'm going to warn, I'm going to plead, I'm going to love, I'm going to speak the truth to those for whom I'm responsible. And, and you do that as you taste the goodness of the Lord and you understand your high calling. <clears throat> this week, uh, Yogi Berra died, 90 years of age. Uh, and we all know some of Yogi's misstatements, such as uh, baseball is 90% mental, the other half is physical. Uh, when you come to a fork in the road, take it. Um, another one was, uh, of course, it ain't over till it's over. He was asked one time, he says, you know, the reporter says, Yogi, you're in, a, you're in a batting slump. He says, I'm not in a batting slump. I'm just not hitting much right now. You know, but that, that's Yogi. And we laugh at that, but we forget he played 19 years of professional baseball, served in the Navy in World War I, went to the New York Yankees. And 19 years of baseball, 18 times he was an all-star. He played in 13 World Series, and he won 10 of them, which is unbelievable. But when you look at, at Yogi Bear, three times the American League National Player of the Year, Baseball Hall of Fame, voted the fourth greatest catcher in the history of the game two or three years ago. But when, 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 you, when I read something about Yogi this week, he said that there was a guy that preceded him as Yankee, by the last name of, of named uh, Bill Dickey, Bill, Bill Ricky, excuse me, and, and he said, everything that I've ever learned about catching, I owe to this man. He was, this guy was raised in Hot Springs, Arkansas, was an all-star, and is in the American League, or excuse me, the, the Hall of Fame. Yogi took his number, number eight, that's since been retired. But he said, everything I owe in baseball, I owe to him. And, and I thought, isn't that true of life? If you have any amount of success or blessing, it's because people have gone before you as pace setters. There are people sitting in our church services this morning that have been pace setters for me. I've seen them go through horrifically difficult times and trust God. And I've said to Sarah, I'm glad God hasn't caused us to walk there yet. Man, look at that faith. I've seen people week after week, year after year, decade after decade, trust the Lord, live for the Lord, honor the Lord, and they're pace setters for me. And many of them don't even have an idea they've been a pace setter for me. But I'll tell you what else you need. You need teammates. Now, that's Yogi Berra. If 
far side. Next to him on his right is a guy named Roger Maris. And then on his left is my boyhood hero, Mickey Mantle. And then Lou Scourn. You know, when you have teammates like that, you know what? You get the World Series. <laughs> you do. Throwing Whitey Ford, Bobby Richardson, Cleet Boyer, you get to the World Series. If we're going to succeed and go strong in faith, we've got to have coaches and pace setters. And that's what elders have to be. Paul says in 1 Timothy 4, people should see your progress in the Lord. We have to have pace setters and coaches, and we have to have teammates who walk with us. I, I, when I read about yoga, I thought that, that, that's it. Coaches, pace setters, managers, and teammates. Thanks be to God for the church of the living, risen, interceding Christ. Thanks be to God for you people. So number two, shepherding. You've got to know the contours of the battle. <clears throat> uh, Paul says this with searing clarity. He says, I know that after my departure, fierce wolves will come in among you, not sparing the flock, and even from among your own numbers will arise men speaking twisted things to draw away the disciples after them. Paul says, you know, this is tough, but he says there are going to be forces outside that will try to seduce the church in a thousand different ways, but there are also going to be people that are raised in the bosom of the church who turn against the things of Christ and try to draw the disciples after them. So he says elders, leaders, moms, dads, community group leaders, cell group, you've got to be on your guard. You've got to understand the contours of the battle that happened from without and within. I wish, church, I wish that evil always came with a sultry voice and a seductive voice or with pockets filled with illicit cash or whatever, but it doesn't happen that way. In fact, 2 Corinthians says, says that, and no wonder for even Satan disguises himself as an angel of light. So it is no surprise if his servants also disguise themselves as servants of righteousness. <laughs> righteousness. People who seemingly do the right thing or they're culturally sensitive or, or, or whatever. So in the present day context, you know, you look at our culture in the last year or so, two years, we're going through this upheaval, and we've I've talked about, we've had discussions about same-sex marriage and the transgender movement and so forth and so on, and, and uh, it's very disturbing. It's very disturbing to YouTube some of our leaders who 10 years ago were giving beautiful addresses defending the sanctity of marriage between a man and a woman, and now they've evolved. They've evolved, which tells me that many of them were just politicians. You kind of expect that from a lot of people. But what breaks my heart are people who name the name of Christ that I somewhat respected at least, who said, I know that we've had 2,000 years of church teaching and about this issue and and they could have added, I know the Bible's abundantly clear about this issue, but I've evolved. And it breaks the heart of God when they speak against the teaching of the Scripture. 
breaks my heart because it sows incredible confusion. But see, these people have no courage. They have no backbone. They're captive to the cultural zeitgeist and not the Word of God. That may be harsh, but it's true. See, what happens is people sometimes see which way the, 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 the band is going, and they jump in front and start waving the banner. That's not a leader. A, a leader in the church says, with brokenness and tears and humility and kindness but firmness, God has spoken. I, I, can't, I can't be moved. The New York Times had an incredible article um, in August of this past year, August 29th, about psychics revealing all. And there were, they profiled three women who were psychics in Manhattan, New York, and they had been arrested and they were in prison. And they went to them and said, if you, if you come forward and just tell us the whole deal, it'll go better with you at your parole hearing that are com- hearings that are coming up. So, that, so they came forward and they all said, it's a scam. There's nothing to it. And let me give you some examples. One, one person, uh, a man came to her and said he's being tormented by dark spirits. And she said, if you give me your Rolex watch, worth $12,000, and pay me additional money, which was $160,000, I'll make the dark spirits go away. He gave the Rolex $160,000. Uh, another psychic said uh, a man came to her, a very wealthy marketing professional from Brooklyn, wanted to be reunited with his departed loved one, a woman that he dearly loved, and she said, I can unite her, you with her if you give me some money. He gave her, listen, $713,000. Amazing. Uh, another woman, this, 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 is, this really is good. Another woman said that uh, she convinced a, a woman to pay her $14,500 for a rock, she said, came from a meteorite that she had obtained from a NASA insider secret center, according to the press accounts of the criminal complaint, which have been, have since been sealed. She admitted taking a total of $55,000 from multiple victims as she sold them moon rocks. It's amazing. And then these ladies were said, well, how did you pull it off? And they said, we talked to them and they told us what they wanted to do and we told them what they wanted to hear. <laughs> so it's pretty simple. They told us what they wanted, and we told them what they wanted to hear. That's exactly what Paul is talking about. He says, just be very, very, very careful. Attack from without and within. And then thirdly, he says, you've got to have a touchstone. You've got to have a standard of measurement. And he says very clearly, the standard of measurement is the Word of God. Verse 32, I'll read it without much comment. And now I commend to you God and the Word of His grace, which is able to build you up, <clears throat> which means to make you more able which is able to make you more able and to give you inheritance among those who are sanctified. So, see, the Word of God makes us more and more able and qualified and more like Christ, and it makes us more and more like Him. I mean, it's just it's glorious. But that's the touchstone. Psalm 119 says, I have more insight than my teachers because I do your Word. In Jeremiah chapter 5, Jeremiah says, all the people have turned away from the Lord. He said, but I will go to the great, verse 5, and I will speak to them, for they know the way of the Lord, the justice of their God. I'll go to the leaders, but they alike have all broken the yoke, and they have burst the bonds. And then he says this, an appalling and horrible thing has happened in the land 
The prophets prophesy falsely and the priests rule their own direction and my people love to have it so. So the prophets don't speak the truth. The priests do what they want to do and the people are, are giving them hearty ovations. The touchstone church has got to be the scripture. Fourthly, hear this. I'm pleading for biblical fidelity, but let me say very, very, very quickly, orthodoxy, which means right belief, is not enough. Orthodoxy, mere orthodoxy, is not enough. We need to plead for emotive pathos when we look at people. When I read this text, and I love this text about Paul's address to the Ephesian elders, I am struck by the amount of emotive outburst that comes from the Apostle Paul and the Ephesian elders. Listen, he says in verse 19, he says, I serve the Lord with all humility and with tears. And he says later, he says how, how I, 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 I came to you, verse 31, I did not cease night or day to admonish everyone with tears. And when he finished his address, when he had said these things, he knelt down and prayed with them all, and there was much weeping on the part of all, and they embraced Paul, and they kissed him, being sorrowful because they'd never see him again. And I just look at that, and I say, where are my tears? It's, it's one thing to say, this is the truth, and lay it out there, but are, are, do we plead with people and pray over them and weep? I love to see young people, and I love to see them here, and I love to see them being taught the Word, and I love to see where they're going, and I think about the, 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 the hundreds and hundreds and thousands of people out in our community who are young who have no idea about the truth. And then I say to myself, where are your tears? I think of family members who just, where, where are your tears? And so I, I, I fight, fight against a lack of emotive energy. Get on your face and say, God, give me tears. Give me emotive capital. And as I love people. In Revelation 2, there's a letter written to this outstanding church that you've all studied about their issues. It's the church at Ephesus that we're studying. And there seems to be a sense that maybe they didn't really hear Paul. Because this is what it says, I know your works, your toil, your patient endurance, and how you cannot bear with those who are evil, but have tested those who call themselves apostles and are not, and they're found to be false. I mean, they got that down pat. They expose error. I know you are enduring patiently and bearing up for my namesake, and that you've not grown weary, but I have this against you. You've left your first love. It's a great church. Orthodoxy is not enough. And then, and then fifthly, the, the, ultimate, the ultimate statement in the life of the Christian, standard in the life of the Christian, is the reality of Christ. I'm just struck the way Paul closes here. He said, in all things I've shown you that by working hard in this way we must Help the weak, which means the, those who are ill or those who are hurting, those who are disenfranchised. 
and remember the words of the Lord Jesus, how he himself said, it is more blessed to give than to receive. And what's interesting here is that Christ in the Gospels never said these exact words. I think it's either an oral tradition or Paul was just encapsulating the life of Christ in one, in one brief sentence. It's more blessed to give than to receive. And I, I read that and I go, that's a banner statement for the active obedience, the daily obedience of Jesus. And I thought how in my own life there's a battleground there. Do I really believe as I care for people and as I listen that it's more blessed to give than to receive? There are many days when I walk through life thinking, how can they serve me better? <laughs> how can my wife serve me better? How can my kids serve me better? You know, see, all of life is a battleground for those, those of us who know the truth. For example, Jesus said, whoever finds his life will lose it. But whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. So do I, do I really believe that, that Self Magazine and Muscle and Fitness and Flex and Beauty Magazine and this and that, do I really believe they're all presuppositionally, philosophically on the wrong bandwagon? Do I really believe that it's not really about me? It's really about Jesus? That's a battleground in my own little spirit. Because the culture, the culture says it's all about you. But I step back and do I say the ultimate standard for the believer, as Paul tells these Ephesian elders as they're weeping, brothers, it is more blessed to give than to receive. If you find your life, you'll lose it. If you lose your life for Jesus, you'll find it. What does it profit a man to gain the whole world and to forfeit his soul? You look back on the end of your days, what will you say? This is a great passage. Go out and love people. Let me give you a brief update. Uh, we have had some appeals about our building program and we're going forward and people have been so kind in their statements just very quickly we want to raise 1.3 million dollars in new cash by the end of the year we'd like to have some type of understanding by early October right now we've collected approximately 690,000 we got another 600,000 to go so as God works in your heart to say, yeah, I want to be involved in this. I get excited about the building expansion, about classrooms and places for people to meet and mingle and go out and be, and be sharpened and encouraged. I think it's a great thing. So I'm, I'm excited about that, but that's where we are. So please know that, and as God leads, respond accordingly. Well, thank you for your time this morning. Let's stand, and I'm going to close this in prayer. Just stand where you are. <clears throat> Lord, thank you for the goodness of all that you are for us, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Thank you that you preserved for us the Word of God. Um, thank you that all the promises of the Bible point to the reality of Jesus. Uh, thank you that we are told without any um, equivocation in this passage that it's more blessed to give than to receive. So make us servants, make us caring folks who care for other people. Um, let us walk out of here and live the reality of Jesus wherever we're going. Thank you for these 
words of warning that Paul says there are going to be savage and fierce wolves from without who try to seduce you from Christ. And, and there's going to be issues from within, people that will try to turn the disciples away from the gospel. Let us be gospel people, Jesus, I pray. Help us to live with a sense of high calling <clears throat> as we continually taste and glory in the goodness of Christ. So we bless you this day, and we ask God that you work in our lives in Jesus' name. Amen.